Hello everybody, and welcome into the Star Wars Legends Lounge, the show celebrating the books from Star Wars Legends. I'm Aaron Motes. On today's show, I'm heading back to the prequel era, a few years before it actually, and taking a look at Maul Lockdown by Joe Schreiber. Now, on the last episode, when I picked this book, I was convinced it was one of the legend stories that I had never read before, but as I got into it, there were some things that I did remember reading. So I guess I had read this one sometime around 2014 or 2015, right after it was published, but I must have forgotten. Still, it was a fun read. Now, today I'm going to try something a little different during the first half of the show, Normally, I rehash the plot of the book, but there are so many twists and turns in Mall Lockdown that if I tried to do that, the show would probably stretch to an hour and a half, and I'd like to try to keep these shows to about 30 to 35 minutes. So today, I'm only going to hit the very major plot points in the book during the first half of the show. That'll leave me a little more time in the second half of the show for analysis. But before I get into the book, let me tell you how you can contact me if you'd like to, to ask a question or to leave a comment or to start a conversation. You can email the show at swlegendslounge at gmail.com or tweet me at legendslounge1. And while this show focuses on the books in the Legends timeline, feel free to contact me about anything in Star Wars. I'm not an expert, but I enjoy fun discussions. Anyway, it's time to talk about today's book, Maul Lockdown by Joe Schreiber. It's time to head in to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. The story begins in the prison colony of Cog Hive 7. It's a mysterious place where some of the worst prisoners in the galaxy are sent. The warden of Cog Hive 7 and the Gambling Commission pit the prisoners in fights to the death that viewers around the Outer Rim can wager on. Now Maul is sent to the prison to find a ghost, a weapons manufacturer named Iram Radik, who most people believe is a myth. But Darth Sidious is convinced Radik lives somewhere beneath the prison, working in the shadows. And he wants Maul to find him, and purchase a nuclear weapon that Sidious plans to use to kill his master, Darth Plagueis. Sidious only has two rules for Maul. First, he must find Radik quickly. Time is of the essence. Once a year, Darth Plagueis hosts a retreat on the moon of Sojourn, for some of the most influential people in the galaxy. Sidious wants to detonate the nuclear device at the retreat, and it's happening soon. Now, secondly, Sidious forbids Maul from using the Force. The Sith have been in hiding for a thousand years, and the grand plan will soon come to fruition, but it's not ready quite yet, and Sidious can't take the chance that the Jedi will hear of someone using the dark side of the Force and come investigate. But even without the Force, Maul is deadly. He now he's chosen for several of the fights, killing each opponent. His victories win him respect from the other prisoners in Cog Hive 7, 
especially after Maul outsmarts and humiliates the leaders of the two main prison gangs, the Bone Kings and the Gravity Massive. But it's not really getting him anywhere in his search for Radik. There are two prisoners, however, unlike the others, a Twi'lek named Zero and a Chadrafan named Coil. Zero has been incarcerated longer than any of the other prisoners and uses Coil to run his errands. The two enjoy a higher level of freedom than the other prisoners, and soon Maul questions them about Radik. Zero tells Maul that Radik is just a myth that people have circulated about Coghive 7 for years, but Maul doesn't believe him. Zero is hiding something. Now eventually, Maul discovers Radik's munitions factory under the prison. Radik uses prisoners to smuggle in weapon parts. The prisoners then leave the parts in their cells during their free time that Radik sends large claw birds to pick up and fly back to his factory under Kalghive 7. Radik uses another group of prisoners to assemble the weapons. These prisoners have all had their eyes gouged out to prevent them from possibly identifying Radik. Now when Maul discovers the weapons factory, he asks Radik to sell the nuclear device to the Bandogora, a death cult that plans to attack Plagueis' retreat. Darth Sidious wants to use the Bandagora to set off the device. That, of course, puts some distance between himself and the assassination attempt in case it fails. Radik refuses to sell the weapon to the Bandagora, but Maul discovers that Radik is trying to build lightsabers. Unfortunately, Radik's sabers are faulty, proving more dangerous for the wielder than anything else. Maul promises to fix the lightsabers for Radik if he agrees to sell the device to the Bandogora. Meanwhile, as Maul investigates Iram Radik, the warden of Coghive 7, a woman named Siddiqui Blur, learns that Jabba the Hutt is upset that the fights she's been staging have taken away from his gambling earnings. Jabba sends several of his agents to infiltrate Coghive 7 as prison guards, but Siddiqui finds out and uses the prison gangs to kill the guards. This, of course, angers Jabba. He's been disrespected, and he sends a death squad to attack the prison. Now, when the squad attacks, Siddiqui triggers the prison's self-destruct sequence. As Coghive 7 begins to tear itself apart, the Bandogora arrive, and a three-way fight ensues between Jabba's agents, the remaining prison guards, and the Bandogora. Maul knows he has to leave before the prison destroys itself, but Radik reneges on their agreement, refusing to sell the nuclear device. Maul and another prisoner named Egan Truax kill Radik and flee the lower levels with the device. Now on their way to the prison hangar bay, they're confronted by Komari Vosa, a former Jedi Padawan and the leader of the Bandogora cult. Maul and Vosa have a brief fight, but eventually agree to help each other escape before Coghive 7 is destroyed. Maul, Vosa, and Truax escape on the Bandogora's shuttle, and Maul gives Vosa the nuclear device to use at Sojourn. We're going to take a break a little early this episode. When we return, I'll talk more about Maul Lockdown. I'm Aaron Motes. You're listening to the Star Wars Legends Lounge.
Hey everybody, allow me to recommend a book from Star Wars canon, A New Dawn by John Jackson Miller. If you like Star Wars Rebels, you won't want to miss the story of how former Padawan Kanan Jarrus meets Rebel agent Hera Syndulla. Ever since he escaped Order 66, Kanan has wandered the galaxy, keeping his head down and taking odd jobs. But when the Empire kills one of Kanan's friends, he must decide whether to keep running or join Hera and her group to fight back. It's a story of hope, adventure, and a little romance. That's A New Dawn by John Jackson Miller. Welcome back into the Star Wars Legends Lounge, the show that celebrates the books from Star Wars Legends. I'm Aaron Motes, and I'm talking about the book Maul Lockdown by Joe Schreiber. Now, the reason why the first half of this show was a little shorter than what it normally is is because there is a ton of plot in Maul Lockdown. There are about 75 chapters in a book that's only about 350 pages long. The chapters are fairly short, and every chapter ends on a sort of cliffhanger. If I were to try to summarize everything that happened in this book, we'd be here for an hour and a half to two hours, and I didn't want the show to be like that. So I'm going to analyze some of the stuff in the book a little differently than what I usually do. First off, let's take a look at some of the characters in the book. Now, I only talked about a handful of them in the first half of the show. I'll talk about a few more of them now. You have a young Maul before he is Sith. The story takes place a handful of years before the Phantom Menace. And as we know from the Darth Plagueis book, Sidious has been grooming Maul since he kind of adopted him as an infant. Maul has been sent on various other missions from Sidious in the past, mostly assassinations. This time, however, Maul is sent to buy a nuclear weapon. What's pretty cool is seeing Maul having to only rely on the various aspects of his training that don't require using the dark side of the Force. I mean, let's face it. If Maul were allowed to use the Force, all of these fights that he gets into, whether it be with other prisoners or with some of the monsters that lurk beneath this prison, those fights would be over in a matter of seconds. However, Maul is a physical specimen. But the book shows Maul to be smarter than he's usually depicted. He's clever. He notices things about the prison that other prisoners don't notice. You know, this is a young Maul that still yearns for Sidious's approval. And throughout the book, he even thinks about how much easier this would be if he were simply allowed to use the Force. As the book goes along, he also starts to question whether or not his mission is actually his mission. There are several times where he sits there and thinks, is this just a test from Sidious? Is this the latest test? I've been ordered not to use the Force. Does he actually want me to use the Force? But if I do, and it violates whatever test he's trying to put me through, 
he's so powerful that he's going to know that I've used the force. And there's a lot of that in the book. We don't normally get a look inside of Maul's head in the Legends timeline. And some of that internal struggle is pretty interesting. Now, some of the other characters in the book, you have the warden, Siddiqui Blur, and her brother, who have set up this prison. A prison, by the way, which I didn't talk about in the first half of the show. The prison moves. The prison can be reconfigured. So you have all these cells that the prisoners are locked into, and when it's time for a fight, the warden issues a command in the computer program, and all of the cells around the prison move around. Some turn upside down. Sometimes, you know, I I almost imagine it as a big Rubik's Cube. But eventually, the algorithm that they use pits two fighters against each other. And those are the only two cells that open. The fighters then, of course, fight to the death. And that's who the people around the Outer Rim bet on. I like the character of Siddiqui Blur. She's clever. She's cunning. She's very ambitious. And she doesn't like to take orders from the Gaming Commission. She has aspirations of making it big. Now, whether it's making it big off of these fights at Coghive 7 or making it big in another business adventure, I don't know. They don't really talk about that much. But you can tell she has plans to create a small financial empire. She stands up to the Gaming Commission numerous times in the book, trying to call their bluff. They threaten to shut her down at one point. And she comes right back at him, saying that she's the one helping to make money for the Gaming Commission. That if they shut her down, they're going to have to answer to their customers. Now, the Gaming Commission, of course, is getting pressure from Jabba the Hutt, as the fights at Coghive 7 have cut into his gambling earnings. You know, Jabba is one of the most powerful entities on the Outer Rim. Of course, we all know about his criminal empire. And there's one thing, of course, that Jabba hates more than anything else. It's losing money. And Siddiqui and the fights at Coghive 7 represent something that is cutting into Jabba's money. But the one aspect of Siddiqui's character that didn't sit quite well with me is as her empire is slowly crumbling as the book goes along, both from within, as Maul has basically upset the natural order in the prison, and from the outside with Jabba first sending guards to infiltrate the prison and then attacking it outright, and the gambling commission telling her all these things are happening. She remains obstinate to the fact that she can save her little empire. At one point, you're like, I mean, come on. You can't tell that this is failing. You can't tell that everything you've built is about to be destroyed. It's time to take your money, cut and run. And I just thought she took too long to finally see what was really happening. Now, there are too many prisoners to list amongst the characters in this book. 
But I do want to talk a few minutes about the character Egan Truax and his father, Artigan Truax. Uh, Egan is a 16-year-old prisoner. Uh, his dad, Artigan, basically went to Coghive 7 himself to try to gain the protection of Iram Radik. Before Radik set up his weapons factory in the prison, Artigan Truax had saved Radik's life. And ever since he saved Radik's life, Artigan has been on the run with his son. Artigan figures that by being arrested, he and his son can go to Kalkhive 7 and can ask Radik for his protection. Of course, that doesn't happen. Now, Artigan is a famous pit fighter. So he takes it upon himself to start training his son in case his son ever gets matched with another prisoner for one of these death fights. Of course, Egan is so young at the beginning, he's not matched. But now that he's in his mid-teens, there is a chance he will get matched. Now, as the story goes along, you learn that Artigan doesn't believe that Egan actually has the heart of a fighter, that he believes that if his son ever does get matched, his son's going to die. Of course, Artigan gets killed, and Egan has to find his own way in the prison. And he actually teams up with Maul after the warden Siddiqui lets all the prisoners out to attack Jabba's henchmen that have infiltrated the prison as prison guards. There's so much chaos and confusion going on at that time that Egan follows Maul into the depths of the prison and together they find Iram Radik. Egan's actually a pretty interesting character. Is he naive? Absolutely. Some of that naivete comes from his father telling him he's going to be a great fighter. That he has nothing to fear when he gets matched up eventually in one of these death fights. All the while, Artigan just doesn't have the heart to tell Egan that Egan is not a born fighter. And no amount of training is going to make him into a fighter. Of course, in the very end, Egan proves himself worthy and helps Maul to escape. Egan's actually the one that kills Radik. And he helps Maul escape with the nuclear device. Now, let's go to the character of Iram Radik himself. As I said, he's a ghost. You hear the name hundreds of times throughout the book. And there are times where you think, oh, this person is Radik. No, this person is Radik. I initially thought Zero, the Twi'lek, was Radik. Of course, it wasn't Zero. Then I thought it was this shadowy figure, a weak way, that appears once with Zero as Maul is falling unconscious. I thought that was Radik. Turns out that is not Radik either. When Maul eventually finds the factory beneath the prison, he finds Zero there. That's what I thought Zero was actually Radik. But 
he hears a voice over the intercom, and the voice orders Zero around. Now, eventually, Zero gets killed, and the being behind the voice finally comes out of a door, you know, much like the pay no attention to that man behind the curtain, you know, Wizard of Oz. This being comes out from behind a door, and it's a blue-skinned humanoid with red eyes. Now, Radik never says what species he is. Maul never thinks what species he is. Nowhere in the book does it say what species Radik is, just that he's humanoid, blue, with red eyes. So, it's implied, of course, that Radik is a Chiss, which brings up a whole bunch of questions as to why he's in this part of the galaxy, or why he has set up this decades-long weapons manufacturing company. I infer that he's been banished from the Chiss Ascendancy. Similar to Thrawn, you know, kind of an outcast. But regardless, it's never explicitly said what alien species Radik is. The last person I want to talk about is Kamari Vosa, the leader of the death cult, the Bandogora. She was a former Padawan of Count Dooku, who was banished from the Jedi Order. She was eventually taken captive by the Bandogora. But during her captivity, she tapped into the dark side of the Force and took over. Now, Kamari Vosa is 29 years old in this story. She'll die a year later at the age of 30. Um, she and the Bandagora do take the nuclear device from Maul. They set the device off, but they are unsuccessful in killing Darth Plagueis. In order to tie up any loose ends, Darth Sidious orders Count Dooku to track her down and kill her. Dooku sends Jango Fett. And Fett is unable to kill her, but he finds her. And Dooku, her former Jedi Master, strangles Kamari Vosa using a Sith Force Choke. There's not much of Vosa in this book. She's only in it for the last couple chapters. I would like to find some of the other stories that she's in. I know she's not in any other novel, but I do believe she's in a couple of the comic books, the Django Fett comic books, and maybe that's where you see her final confrontation with, with Dooku. Um, I'm not much of a comic reader, but just the little bit I got of her in this book makes me want to find those comics and check them out. So, there's the characters. Now for the book as a whole. I like this book. A lot of this book doesn't feel like a Star Wars book to me. Now, I understand that. The author, Joe Schreiber, has written two other Legends books, Death Troopers and Red Harvest. So all three of these books are more horror than they are Star Wars. I will say, I like when Star Wars dips into other genres. I'm not the biggest horror fan in the world. Death Troopers was okay. I did like Red Harvest a lot. 
I would say this book for me falls in between those two. But I like the fact that it's something different. Again, I think I've said it on this program before. I like when Star Wars gets weird. Um, I like the main stories, of course, with the Jedi, the Sith, Luke Skywalker, Darth Vader, Anakin Skywalker, Obi-Wan Kenobi, Darth Sidious. I love all that stuff. I like the stuff with the clone army. I like the stuff with Jaina and Jason Solo. But I also like it when it mixes it up. I like sometimes how it goes more hard sci-fi than the kind of fantasy sci-fi opera that it is. I like when it goes mystery. So making this a horror book is not off-putting to me at all. I'm just not the biggest fan of the plot. I like to give my opinion on what I like and dislike on this show, but I don't like to like give out grades or anything like that. You know, I think you can decide whether or not you want to read this book or not. But I would say this is a type of book where if you want a change, if you want something in Legends that's off the beaten path, try it. It may be for you, it may not. It is for me. I'm not going to lie to you and say it's one of my favorite Legends books, because it's not. But it's definitely not in that category of Legends novels that just don't appeal to me at all. And there are a handful of those. And believe it or not, I'm going to read some of those for this show. So I would put Maul Lockdown right in that group in the middle that is entertaining to read. It's not necessary to read. But if you want something different, give it a try. So, before I wrap up, I'm sure you want to know what book is going to be on the next episode. Now, this time, I'm going to pick a book that I know I definitely have not read yet. Rogue Planet by Greg Bear. So please, join me two weeks from now on May 21st. Until then... If you'd like to get in contact with me, please email the show at swlegendslounge at gmail.com or send me a tweet at legendslounge1. Ask me a question or send me a message. I'd love to hear from you. Until then, thank you so much for listening to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. I'm Aaron Motes. Remember, there's always a bit of truth in Legends.